0: She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. the super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski. And we are here today moving forward in our series called They Called Them Crazy. At the beginning of the fall, we started this series and we started off talking about prolific broads, uh, women that were so prolific producing the work they produced that they were considered crazy. And then we moved on and explored some of the visionary broads who were women more or less of medieval times, who grew into prominence in part due to their visions and visitations from God and Jesus and a bunch of the Bible characters. So now we're moving on to the next part of our series called Crazy or Not, Here They Come. And these are women who were very, very publicly decried as being crazy during their lifetimes. They were written about as being crazy. Those terms were applied to them in related terms as well. And sometimes, even after their lifetimes, they were called that. And I am not gonna lie, the whole concept, uh, it's had me fascinated for a really long time. It's part of the reason I wanted to do this series in the first place. So I was really excited to dig into some of these ladies. And today, specifically, we are looking at one of the most notorious American women of the 19th century, Mary Todd Lincoln. She was the wife and subsequent widow of President Abraham Lincoln, one of the most popular, beloved presidents that we have had in this country. Um... I wouldn't be surprised, listeners, to hear that most of you probably have only heard of Mary in passing, and usually just kind of in relation to her husband, right? Because he's, as I just said, one of the most lauded presidents, uh, one of the most celebrated men to ever hold that office. But Mary has her own really interesting story. And as I was reading about her life and trials and tribulations... My emotions were like wildly pivoting between empathy and disgust and admiration and sorrow. It is a whirlwind journey through her life. So I'm really excited to bring you her story today. Um, To start with, Mary is very generally speaking, one of the least liked first ladies that the United States has ever had. Uh, How do we know this? Roughly 160 years later, (laughs) because nobody alive then is alive now. But both whilst he was alive and after Lincoln's assassination, Mary's name was very frequently appearing in national news and tabloids and gossip circles. And everywhere things were published, her name appeared pretty like fairly often, basically, since once Lincoln got into office. Um, often when I'm researching abroad, I try to think about whether or not the woman I'm researching or her or part of her story has some kind of like modern equivalent for today. And for Mary, I kept returning to this image of Meghan Markle up against the British press and the, the British population who all seem to, like, deeply revile her for, quote, ruining the monarchy and, quote, stealing Harry, right? And I find these instances so bizarre. Like, like, once the snowball of bad press got rolling, there was, like, no stopping its increase. And once there was blood in the water, people connected with her were really quick to add in their own personal hot takes in, in like grossly public ways and public displays and it's some weird like high society circle stuff that I that shit I just don't really comprehend very well I admit Um, but there's all these letters and publications and all these just disparaging things that were written about her uh, publicly and privately so that is kind of how we know (laughs) what people thought of her Um, and why did people hate her so much? So I'm going to dial it back, back to her, her origin story. So Mary Ann Todd was born in 1818 to a pretty well-off family in Lexington, Kentucky. They were pretty high society. And, and since it was Kentucky in 1818, wealth is pretty synonymous at this time with slave owning. So they were a, a slave owning family. Um... That's totally fascinating, and I didn't know that because her husband, the man she ends up marrying, ends up becoming the great emancipator, um, but that, that she not only came from a slave-owning household, but also apparently she never even blinked an eye about that, and she staunchly defended her husband's beliefs and actions uh, around slavery. So I find that so interesting that that's her background. Um, when Mary is just six years old, her mom dies in childbirth. And her dad ends up remarrying uh, another woman and they have like nine more kids. But Mary and her stepmom apparently did not get along very well. And and Mary ends up going to finishing school. And after that point, when she's, you know, a fairly grown young woman, she's considered quite the catch. She speaks French fluently, she's got mad entertaining skills, and she's got this really great head for politics. And in 1839, when she's 21, she leaves her father's house and she goes to Springfield, Illinois, to live with her sister. And quickly, she becomes this object of, of a lot of interest in high society. Um, all the single men are very into her. Uh, and apparently, she's either courted by or dated or both uh, by Stephen Douglas. So history buffs who are listening, you'll remember Douglas was one of Lincoln's primary adversaries in his political career. Um, the, the Lincoln-Douglas debates, that's the same Douglas. He apparently dated or courted Mary. I- insanely interesting to me. So, But Mary ends up choosing Abraham Lincoln to be her husband. Um, And it's interesting to also note here that Lincoln himself was not a part of high society. He grew up really poor, very rural. And despite what like Hollywood rom-coms have us think, it was not common for a woman of Mary's status to choose like this humble lawyer over the other dudes that were courting her. So that's really interesting. I wish I had found more research about that whole decision and how that, that courtship went down and none of the sources iPhone talked about it so I don't have anything for you on that but Lincoln despite his humble beginnings was a definite star rising and he was touring Illinois as a circuit lawyer um, and they get married and they start to have kids they have four boys um, little Eddie their second child he dies when he's just four um, and and remember touring the state It's not like, you know, today you could drive five hours, get across five, six hours from the top to the bottom of Illinois. Back then, it's something totally different. And in 1850, when Lincoln was doing this, he would be on the road for months. And Mary was back in Springfield managing their family and the household and all of their social and political lives, right? So Mary was like, great at it. And apparently also, uh, Lincoln really liked her cooking, even though it was plain, he liked plain food. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and when uh, Lincoln, fast forward a bit and when Lincoln is elected in 1860 they all move to the White House and this is kind of the point where we start to see a lot of this bad press start to appear or some of the bad press starts at this point Um, now as a young woman uh, Mary's friends all described her as having a quote natural kindness of heart As we said, she was well-educated, she was very intellectual, she was a wonderful conversationalist, and as a wife and a partner, she was both ambitious and apparently politically astute, and she guided her husband through all the things he was going for, uh, and, and she was very devoted, and he was very devoted to her and their relationship. And by all appearances, it seemed to be kind, like, it seemed to be like a devoted, loving, protective marriage. But there also were a bunch of stories that came out to the contrary. Some neighbors back in Illinois told a story about how the Lincolns were home one night, and Mary asked her husband to add logs to the fire. And he was reading and didn't do what she wanted fast enough. And she got so mad that she threw a piece of firewood at him and it hit him in the face. And the next day he had to like, he had like a bandage on his nose and everybody noticed. Um, there's some other stories about her showing flashes of anger or chasing him up the street outside the house uh, during an argument. Um, also in in March of 1865, after he's president, the Lincolns t- traveled to Virginia. Uh, I guess he was doing some kind of military review. Remember, this is the middle of the Civil War, right? So he's doing some kind of, kind of military review and... Mary got really offended by this young wife of another union general. And she got so mad that she was like publicly yelling at him at this event. Um, She was said to have, quote, a terrible temper and sour disposition. Um, She'd have, I guess these angry outbursts were fairly common. And the president's Assistant, oh no! Excuse me, the president's assistant private secretary, apparently nicknamed Mary the Hellcat. <laughs> but I have to say, that's a lot of bad stories, and that sounds really bad. But uh, a bunch of these stories are told. The, a bunch of specifically the stories about her being like really angry and terrible. A lot of those were told by people who didn't really like Mary, including Lincoln's uh, longtime law partner-in-law, William Herndon. Apparently, a bunch of those stories kind of came from him. So that's really interesting. So we hear these bad stories. She's got this bad rap. But then also we look at, like, who told those bad stories? Um, it's also clear in my research that Mary was not very well physically. Um. It's It was a little bit hard for me to kind of deduce when her symptoms began, um, but in her life, she reported and her doctors reported that she had fevers, migraines, problems walking, that feeling of being stuck by pins and needles all over, uh, mouth soreness and swelling and shortness of breath and tachycardia. Uh, to be honest, if I had those symptoms, I think I would be pretty crabby too. Um, Diagnoses from the doctors of the time included included uh, the following: a slight apoplexy, insane, cerebral disease, hypochondrical, menstrual, hysterical, and what has to be my new favorite misogynistic diagnosis ever, quote, the female wildcat of the age. <laughs> Apparently, that was some doctor said that about her. Oh my God. Um, now, of course, there's a lot of speculation by today's doctors and psychologists and people, you know, as we've done with some of our other broads, we're like, okay, could, could they have been suffering from a legitimate mental disorder um, or physical disorder? And so some of the potential, there's like a laundry list of potential possibilities, but nobody's quite sure. But these potential illnesses include uh, hypervigilance, delusions, hallucinations, Um, but, but delusions and hallucinations with clarity where you're still like self-aware that it's happening Um, Some doctors think she may have had bipolar disorder or spinal stenosis or diabetes or pernicious anemia. And one source that I read was pretty persistent that she had all the symptoms of a frequent urinary tract infection. Because apparently when she gave birth to Tad, their youngest child, her urethra was damaged and it made her especially prone to getting bacterial infections. Um, As I said, we don't and we won't really ever quite know exactly what she suffered from, but all of those are potential possibilities um, and maybe more than one of those things at the same time. We don't know. Um, And in addition to all this, uh, to all the the illness, the outbursts, emotional stuff, Mary, to the great judgment of the public, was a shopper extraordinaire. Uh, Quote, she indulged in orgies of buying things, end quote, said one source. And she was considered by many to be very haughty. She threw amazing, huge parties and entertainment, and she redecorated the White House when Lincoln was in office, but she apparently went so over budget on the redecoration that Congress had to convene to figure out how to cover the expenses, which they did. They figured it out, but yikes. Um, And at a time when the United States was embroiled in civil war and a lot of Americans were making these huge lifestyle sacrifices because of the war, her spending and and over expenditure was perceived to be kind of especially egregious. Right. Um, So all that, all everything I just kind of spouted off there is a whole lot, but it's only half a Mary story. If you are now thinking, "Oh, it's a bummer. We got to talk about the assassination." You're totally right. Uh, the second part of Mary's story is is starts then, but it actually doesn't quite start then. It starts three years before that, when their second son Willie dies, uh, and when this happens. Um, he, he was sick. I think it was uh, I think it was some form or some relation to tuberculosis. Um, when this happens, Mary's grief is very pronounced and it's very public. And a lot of sources describe her grief as exaggerated. Um, I find that description very interesting. that choice of word is, is very interesting. Um, but Mary couldn't leave her bed for weeks. She missed Willie's funeral. She missed the, her her baby's funeral. He wasn't a baby, but at that, but uh, he was twelve. But she missed the funeral. Um, according to Elizabeth Keckley, who was her dressmaker and confidant, um, kind of for for many years in her life, she said that Mary was quote an altered woman after Willie's death, uh, and she never set foot in the guest room where he died ever again. Um, and at one point, Mary wrote to a friend and she said, quote, We have met with so overwhelming an affliction in the death of our beloved Willie, a being too precious for Earth, that I am so completely unnerved that I can scarcely command myself to write. Um, apparently, at one point during this mourning period, Lincoln told her that if she didn't snap out of it, that she was going to have to be put in an asylum. Now, the source on that particular fact is unknown, so I can't really tell you if that's, I, I don't feel confident saying that that's 100% true, um, but it does seem plausible, and it does seem like something somebody would say to somebody kind of stuck in a in a heavy grief cycle, um, especially a, go, a, a man to a woman, right? Um, also, prior to Willie's death, Mary had kind of started dabbling with spiritualism, which was a really popular movement at the time. Um, like seances and all that stuff. But after Willie dies, um, it shifts from kind of a hobby for Mary to more of a serious pursuit. And she apparently started holding seances in the White House in an attempt to contact Willie's spirit. Um, And Lincoln allowed all this because he, as we said, was a devoted husband and supporter. But the press and social people who knew about it were definitely at this point started to kind of use the word insane when it came to Mary's behavior. And then, uh, so Willie has died, she's grieving. And then three years later, she's sitting next to her hubby at the theater and he shot from behind at point blank range. Um, I just want to take a second here to acknowledge the pure absolute trauma of that whole scenario. You're like at the theater laughing at funny people on stage and a gun goes off in your ear and your husband is fatally wounded, dying in front of you. I I can't even comprehend. Like I'm an actor trained to try to comprehend those things and think about like what you would do right. I can't even comprehend what that, that trauma would be like. Um, And now listeners, what follows here is a sequence... <laughs> of incredibly egregious events that are so, so deeply misogynistic that your feminist hearts or even your not-feminist hearts might cry because mine definitely did. So so Lincoln is laying in bed dying in the house across the street or down the street, um, and Mary begins, quote, crying hysterically, which seems like a normal reaction if you ask me. And Secretary of War Edwin Stanton kicks her out of the room. That's right. I'm going to say it again. Secretary of War Edwin Stanton kicks her out of the room. He kicks her out from her husband's dying, like his deathbed. They kick her out and she was not there when Lincoln took his last breath. Um, That alone... Made me so angry. Uh, So now if we talked about her grief for Willie, if that was like a great lake, her grief for her husband was a freaking ocean. Elizabeth Keckley, that confidant of hers, wrote that, quote, the wails of a broken heart, the unearthly shrieks, the terrible convulsions of the bereft widow. And Mary... She was tearing out her hair. She was, of course, wearing all black and crying, couldn't get out of bed. Um, She, in fact, would end up wearing black. She wore black a lot longer than what was typical, and she kind of ended up wearing black. It sounded like most of the rest of her life. Um, But she, she can't, upon his assassination, she just can't function. She's in this place where she can't even get up and go to her husband's funeral. And these motherfuckers who are in charge now that Lincoln is dead are trying to get her out of the White House because now the new president, Andrew Johnson, is supposed to be living there. But you know what? Andrew Johnson didn't even take time to visit Mary, and he didn't even write a freaking note of sympathy after Lincoln dies. And that rude-ass shit... Pisses off Mary because she's a woman of social graces, and she's non-functional in grief, and she's mad at these fuckers, and she just cannot bring herself to pack up her and the boy's belongings and move out of the White House. And never mind, this is the the other fact that they didn't really have anywhere to go at this point. Their breadwinner and source and like sole source of income was dead, and. Unfortunately, his paperwork wasn't quite in order when he got shot in the head. So there's this chaos in his estate distribution, Um, remembering, of course, that women back then didn't really own their own property or at least it wasn't passed on to them without express orders from their departed loved ones. Right. So her and the boys at this point, they didn't even have a house they could really go to or income to figure things out. So I'm sure that like Mary, you know, some sources describe it as her dragging her feet trying to get out of the white house. But I'm sure like, I'm sure that was some sort of insane combination of, of both being the saddest, that you can ever possibly be in your life as well as like, where the fuck am I supposed to go? And with what fucking money? Right. Um, and, uh, in fact, oh, I should also say, uh, Lincoln's estate wasn't distributed for two years. And Mary is living on at this point. She, she is, there's some kind of disbursement or temporary fund of $130 a month, which she receives. Um, I I didn't quite understand how that works. And I don't know about financial things like that, but I looked it up and $130 today would be about $2,740. And so for a woman of high society, um, used to throwing parties and ordering fancy custom dresses, that is actually not a lot of money. Now, does a poor person that would have been probably a ton of money but for Mary it is not and she still has Tad at home um, so she's supporting Tad on that money as well um, it's also worth saying because you know for for the sake of recognizing misogyny uh, her son Robert who at this point was was out of the house and back on it uh, he's a kind of a grown-ass man back in Illinois, he was able to petition that same disbursement lawyer and received over twice what Mary got. But Mary, when she was asking for more, her pleas all fell on deaf ears. So her son, because he was a dude, got more money, even though he was still almost a kid. Uh, Anyway, the boys in charge in the Fed now also didn't want to pay her the rest of Lincoln's salary. So he, you know, he didn't serve his full term. He didn't ser- uh, And so what he should have received in that year, they were like, oh, she doesn't get that. Um, but Mary was able to kind of rally a couple different allies and fight for that. And she ended up eventually getting a good portion of the remainder of, of Lincoln's salary to help sustain her. And and Mary, at this point, she's increasingly desperate for income. Um, and Then... Uh, in what becomes kind of the, the scandal of the century, Mary in her desperation tries to sell some of her really fancy outfits. So, you know, when she was a woman of means, when her husband had income flowing and enough of it to sustain her, she had all of these custom gowns, European style, gloves, jewelry, et cetera, et cetera. So she had all of this, this basically this, I guess they, you just call it a wardrobe, (laughs) um, and so she's desperate for money, and so she tries to put together like a an auction to kind of sell these goods off, and she tries to do it confidentially, but but people figure it out. They like, some of the like jewelers like recognize the custom pieces, and people recognize like the customizations that they did. And so people figure it out, and news of her stooping to these low means, because it was like low society behavior to sell your clothes, even if you're never going to wear them again. Um, All this news starts to hit all the papers across the nation. And Mary becomes this like super pathetic society person. She's like this pathetic figure. Um, The Chicago Journal wrote, quote, the most charitable construction that Mary Lincoln's friends can put on her strange course is that she is insane. Um, Robert, her own son wrote about his mother, quote, my mother is not mentally responsible. It's very hard to deal with someone who is sane on all subjects, but one, um, in, uh, a letter from one of her former bankers named Jacob Bond, he said, or one of his aides rather, he, um, said that quote, there's no doubt that Mrs. Lincoln is deranged and has been for years past and will end life in a lunatic asylum, end quote. So she had like, as I was reading these sources, as I'm reading these quotes, all these really uncomfortable dudes, they're uncomfortable with Mary's grief, they're uncomfortable with her financial situation. And so the easiest thing to do to make themselves look better if they're connected with her is to call her crazy, right? This is like, that. this is between the lines. That wasn't said in the sources, but that's my between the lines reading of those. Her friends, however, Mary did still have some close friends. And they did not agree with these crazy sentiments. Sally Orne, who is one of her closest friends, wrote after a visit, quote, as it has been suggested by some that Mrs. Lincoln is partially deranged, having seen her so recently, it may be proper for me to say to you that I have watched her closely by day and night for weeks, and failed to discover any evidence of aberration of mind in her and i believe her mind to be as clear now as it was in the days of her greatest prosperity and i do believe it is unusually prolonged grief that has given rise to such a report End quote. um there was a bit of benefit to the the failed pr embarrassment situation because it actually made these misogynist assholes pull their shit together a little. And suddenly, Lincoln's estate gets settled very quickly. And miraculously, uh, Congress ended up passing a bill that granted her a $3,000 pension a year, Um, which today that would be $540,000, almost almost $541,000. Um, And that for Mary was a huge success, that's a huge windfall, um, but I, I'm sad to say that Mary would continue to struggle th- th- with money issues the rest of her life, her expenditures exceeded her incomes, um, and also now at this point her health takes a big nosedive. She goes to Europe for a while. Um, She's trying out healing baths and all these other remedies that are recommended. And she does find like some, a little bit of measure of success. Like she has a little bit of relief with some of these treatments. Um, And it's also really, it's, it's nice that she's in Europe because also she's away from the American eye and the American news outlets, which was like a nice little break for her. But, uh, tragically, Tad, her youngest son dies and he had been his, her companion at this point, actually, um, since Lincoln's death. Uh, he dies in 1871, likely from tuberculosis. And now, if, you know, if Mary's behavior was erratic and, and strange before, now it like really takes a turn. And sh- this is when she starts suffering from paranoid delusions um, and, and stuff like that. And at some point in this time period, she moves to Chicago, Um, And she wrote about her sorrows. She writes, quote, I have not been able to summon sufficient courage to receive, but very few of my friends who, with all the world, surely sympathize in my unutterable distress of mind, end quote. Uh, One of her visitors uh, in Chicago, Isaac Arnold, he was a, a lawyer friend, I guess, of hers and Lincoln's. He reported that when they dined together in conversation, though, that she always pointed the conversation to the assassination. She, she remained really fixed on the assassination and she couldn't talk about anything else. She, she developed some theories, possibly conspiracy theories. Um, she, she just wouldn't stop talking about it. Um, some of her friends also said that she wished that she would go, quote, under the wild waves of Lake Michigan. And Mary also would write, quote, life is all darkness the sun is mockery to me in my great sorrow i have a chill brought on by excitement and suffering of the mind and robert who is now her only living son um she's going through all this And Robert is not as kind as Lincoln had been to her when he was alive. And Robert is increasingly mortified. He was mortified with the sale, the failed clothes sale, but he's increasingly embarrassed by her mental and emotional decline. And in 1875, which this is now 10 years after Lincoln's assassination, Robert arranges to have Mary put on trial and charged with being insane. Get How this goes down. Mary's living in Chicago, I just said, and two detectives show up at her door one morning and they basically grab her and take her immediately to the courthouse. She's given no opportunity to prepare any kind of defense or even retain a lawyer. She's just brought in. And following the testimony uh, about Mary's behavior from all the witnesses that Robert brings in, the jury concludes, quote, Mary Lincoln is insane and is a fit person to be in a hospital for the insane, end quote. Um, Mary is taken to a sanitarium in Illinois, uh, and she's there three months, about three months, and then she is released. Um, I don't have more details about like how all of that went down, uh, but she did uh, a year later go to court to have the judgment against her reversed which she did manage to accomplish uh, so that she was not declared legally insane anymore but Mary really she kind of never recovers from the fact that her own son like instigates this trial and declares her insane Um, she ends up moving to Europe uh, until 1881 She comes back in 1881 and she lives with her sister again in Springfield, like the old days. And she will live there um, another year and a half or so. And then on July 16th, 1882, at the age of 63, she has a stroke and she passes. And that, my friends, is the tragic I, I, I have no better word than tragic story of Mary Todd Lincoln. Um, it makes me so sad. I, I didn't know going in what to expect from the story because I actually hadn't ever heard the rumors of her being mad until she was suggested for this series. And even though she obviously was like a woman of wealth and privilege and... Her wild expenditures like caused all these issues, you know, almost self-created issues. When I read all these other things about her physical wellness and her grief and the loss of her and almost her entire family, it's just, it's just a stunning, a stunningly sad series of events. And I, I, I don't know. Like was she insane? And I don't even I don't, you know. Sometimes I feel qualified, like Doctor Doctor Sarah, to to say, oh, it sounded like this. And I think with Mary, you know, a lot of the sources say that that all of her issues stemmed from her her deep grief. And then also we have these doctors who think there were these these physical things were real. And I think we don't know, um, but I certainly don't think that she was insane because her son fucking Robert like took her to the court, surprised her at court and had her declared that. Because I do for sure think that there's a lot of ways to rig that scenario, um, in his favor to, to, to ensure his own successes and maybe, you know, and to get her out of the spotlight, uh, and, and maybe he benefited from it in other ways And that. I have no research on that's another read between the lines, but, um, Man, Mary's story, that's all I got for you. That's all I have for you today. But um, she most certainly was a broad that I think we all should know. To learn more about Mary Todd Lincoln, see pictures of her and some of these quotes that I listed off this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the about page and read more about me. My bio, photo, links to my stuff is all there social media. Are you following Broads You Should Know yet? Yeah, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter. We're still on Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at Broads you Should Know at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, you have to help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends or family, or better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners to find us when you do that. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Sky with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you were really drawn into the story about Mary Todd Lincoln, then you should definitely check out some of our other crazy broads that we've done in the last couple weeks. We've got Christine de Pizan... We've got Hildegard von Bingen, Catherine of Siena, Joan of Arc even. Check them all out. Their stories are all so interesting. And we'll see you next week for another Broad You Should Know.